Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. Hey, good morning, Awaken Church. It is awesome to have you guys uh, joining us today. Uh, Just a few days out from Christmas, we are in the season of Advent and Uh, One of the things you might not know about Christmas, but uh, the idea of Christmas actually is that we as a Christian church would be transformed, that we would be made different by thinking about the person of Jesus Christ in a particular way. So Advent is about uh, waiting. It's about this period of waiting for God to come into our lives. It's about when things are dark, when things are desperate, when uh, we're going through the most difficult parts of life where we're waiting on God. And so Advent is this season where we, we remember that God puts us through these times of, of just waiting. And so Advent, this, this build up to Christmas uh, this time of waiting, it's not just waiting for presents, although uh, that is really a fantastic e- example of all that is going on, but it's this time of just waiting spiritually for God to move, and that's what brings us into a place of prayer. That's what uh, you know, forces us to remember that even when things are very dark, that there is this, there is this light shining. There is this uh, opportunity to, to uh, have hope in, even in the, the darkest and most difficult days. And so we're in this season of Advent and waiting for the moment of Christmas. And then you may not have known this, but Christmas actually starts on Christmas Day. And we celebrate uh, Christmas Tide. So uh, this, you know, if you grew up in the Russian Orthodox Church or something like that, you'd be far more familiar with this. But, you know, Really, Christmas starts on Christmas Day, and for 12 days, we celebrate Christmastide. And so uh, there's this just celebration of the fact that God has come incarnate, that he has uh, made this decision to be with us eternally. And so he has uh, come to us in human form uh, so that we can uh, relate to him. And so uh, we spend 12 days of Christmas starting Christmas Day, uh, doing, uh, just celebrating the incarnate coming of God. And so really, uh, children, if you're at home and you're processing all of this, what you should be thinking is your parents really owe you a gift each day for 12 days after Christmas Day uh, rather than just on Christmas Day. So you can bring that up with your parents and see what they think of that idea. But really the whole goal of Advent, of Christmas Tide, of this whole season is not for us to gather together as families and, and have nostalgic moments and, and look at, uh, you know, uh, Christmas symbols. I'm motioning over here because our Christmas tree is over there. And so, uh, you know, that's not the purpose of the season. It's for us to be 
transformed spiritually, for us to grow, to be, to be thinking about uh, Jesus and his work for us on our behalf in different kinds of ways. And so I'm going to read you a Christmas story from First Peter, maybe one that you have not heard before. First Peter, in, starting in verse, chapter 1, starting in verse 3, says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Now that's the Christmas story. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because of the incredible thing that Christ has done on our behalf. And so I'm just going to ask you, wherever you're at right now, uh, sitting here uh, in the room or uh, watching us online, wherever you're at, just to uh, say in your spirit uh, a prayer to God, asking God to transform you and to make you different, to understand, to grasp the salvation that you've been given, to get a glimpse of this great expectation that you have. So just take a moment and pray that uh, for yourself right now, that God would transform you even in this moment and throughout the seasons of Advent and Christmastide. The Bible is universally true, or another way to say that is its truth is universal. So um, if, we, if we see that the Bible is expressing a truth, and that truth always applies, but one of the other things we know about uh, truth in uh, the scriptures is that uh, um, Truth is applied in different ways that biblical, the biblical application of truth is situational. So uh, I'm going to give you an example from Exodus uh, 21 and starting in verse 29. This is going to seem really strange uh, for just a minute, but hang on, hold, hold on, and uh, we'll, we'll see how all of this connects. But uh, just after the Ten Commandments, um, God gives Moses... Uh, directions about how the community of Israel is to operate and, and really the first thing he goes into into detail is the fair treatment of slaves, which is kind of an odd thing to find in the Bible because, you know, aren't Christians sort of against slavery? And, and yes, we are, uh, but uh, it's important for us to uh, see this, understand this as an example of what I'm talking about. So, Here's this rule or this law about uh, the treatment of slaves. It says, but suppose the ox had a reputation for goring and the owner had been informed but failed to keep it under control. You know, bad pet owner here, right? If the ox then kills someone, it must be stoned and the owner must also be put to death. So that's kind of the, the context of what I'm uh, referring to here. However, the dead person's relatives may accept payment to compensate for the loss of life. The owner of the ox may redeem his life by paying whatever is demanded. So we can go to the civil court and uh, these two parties can go before a judge and they can, they can have a settlement. These are terms and ideas that we're actually very familiar with here uh, in our judicial system. But then there is this part that is, is confusing. It says the same regulation applies if the ox gores a boy or girl. But if the ox gores a slave, either male or female, the 
animal's owner must pay the slave's owner 30 silver coins and the ox must be stoned. What a strange, strange thing. And many people look at that and, and uh, think that God is uh, you know, off of his rocker or the Old Testament law is some archaic, crazy thing that, that uh, somehow is totally disconnected from uh, the Jesus that we know and love because how could God put a price on the head of a slave and uh, you know, a, a mere 30 pieces of, of silver for, for this slave who, uh, who was murdered? Well, it's important for us to understand that previous to this, previous to the law that God gave Moses, there would have been zero penalty for killing a slave. There would have been a zero compensation uh, scenario going on. There was no value on the life of the slave. And so for the very first time in history, uh, God is placing a very significant and definite value on the life of his slave. Slaves, by the way, in that context was uh, more like an employee. For the most part, uh, there were sort of these contracts that people would would. Uh, agree on. So they would, you know, instead of paying off a debt, they would commit to being somebody's slave or servant for a period of time, and they would work towards freedom. We do very much the same thing uh, in our culture. When we take on a mortgage, uh, we are committing to being a servant to the bank for a certain set of time until we get that paid off. And so uh, this law that God gives is actually an incredibly liberating and loving and, and valuing thing to uh, people who were servants, people who were employees. So uh, 30 silver coins in those days was a significant amount of money. Uh, a, a good equivalency is, is uh, for our day would be $360,000. So, uh, you know, if you, if you were being irresponsible with your stuff and, and uh, you ended up killing somebody as a result, and if, if they were a slave, you weren't going to get off the hook anymore. This person was a real person who had real value, and there was going to be a significant penalty for being negligent in whatever way that you were negligent. And so you can read that at first, and you can see, gosh, I don't, I don't really get this. I don't understand why God is saying that slaves are only worth, worth this amount of money on the one hand, and that doesn't make sense. Or on the other hand, you can say, wow, that's incredible. In a culture where slaves were considered to be sort of worthless, God is lifting them up and giving them really significant value. You know, if you're a millionaire and, uh, you know, you're, you're one of the, the wealthy elite, uh, $360,000 out of your bank account is a significant thing. And so it's going to cause you not to be negligent. It's going to cause you to care uh, more than you would have otherwise. And so we see that um, biblical truth is universal, is universal, but biblical application is situational. And I bring that up because of the passage that we're about to read in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 and starting uh, in verse 13. For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free. 
yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God. And respect the king. Fear God and respect the king. That first phrase in that passage of scripture is critical for us. For the Lord's sake. And how incredibly relevant the scriptures are to our day and our situation. This passage is amazingly relevant to what we've been experiencing for the last year. Going through COVID, going through an election cycle, going through all kinds of things locally and nationally and internationally. This idea of you know, loving God and respecting our leaders is a very, very difficult thing to try to get right, to try to do well. This key phrase is, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake. So it's quite possible that somewhere along the line, you have not been satisfied with the leadership that you've been put under. It's quite possible that you've had a problem with the school board. It's quite possible that you've had a problem with the mayor. It's quite possible that you've had a problem with the governor or the president or our Congress or what's happened with the Supreme Court. Or It's quite possible that you have had a significant problem with authority in the last year. Probably some kind of issue in your place of employment. Uh, this idea of respecting the authority that is over us is a very difficult one. But it is something that we as Christians are called to even when that authority seems impossible to respect. And we really have no wiggle room here for a couple of reasons. One is Peter's writing to a church that is under the authority of the Caesars. Uh, he is writing to a church that is under the authority of these local puppet kings, one of whom was Herod. I mean, think about Jesus himself. He came and placed himself under the authority of Herod and Caesar, Pilate. He placed himself under their Authority for the sake of God's will, for the sake of God's story that was playing out. And so we are called to do that same thing for the Lord's sake to put our place, put ourselves into a place of respect for those in authority over us, trusting in God's way rather than our own way. God's way. By the way, if this isn't clear, and we'll see this uh, throughout the, the rest of what we're going to read today, but God's way is that we would live honorable lives, that we would live honorable lives versus using brute force or manipulative, manipulative propaganda or any of those types of tactics to influence the situation, to bully our way, to getting our way. God's way is that we would live honorable lives, that we would just always do the right thing, that we would consistently do the right thing, respond in the right way. And by doing that, over time, we would have maximum influence for him. That is God's way to trust in him to be the perfect judge. Now, if you're like me, you like being the judge. And you can get in your mind that you're the perfect judge. Most of the time when I make a judgment call, I'm convinced that I am right. And I like being right and I like being the judge and I like it when other people agree with my judgment. And so I'm tempted to get around 
with people who just agree with my judgments, who have similar judgments. Well, these are all very dangerous things or can potentially be very dangerous things if we leave the place of trusting that God and God alone is the perfect judge. If we leave the place where we are mostly concerned with living an honorable life and letting God see that the chips fall where they ought to fall. So there is this phrase in here uh, where uh, it says that our honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. When I think about silencing somebody who's making a foolish accusation against me, I immediately think about a shouting match. I don't know if you've ever been in a shouting match or not, but if you have the personality of uh, kind of a fighter, like, um, you know, you, you never liked bullies. As soon as you saw a bully, you decided that you were gonna take that bully on, that nobody was gonna bully you, and uh, there, wasn't an, you know, there wasn't an argument that you weren't willing to enter into because uh, maybe you had a high degree of confidence that you were gonna win that argument. Well, if you're like that, and I, I have... Uh, I guess, kind of uh, had that experience uh, growing up. Uh, I tend not to resist a fight. My, my default setting is, oh, you want to fight, do you? And then I tend to go headlong into that fight. So when I think about silencing somebody, I think about you know, a shouting match and shouting somebody down. And if I can shout louder and more vociferously, if I can, if I can be more angry, more violent in my shouting, then I'm more likely to silence that person through intimidation, through good argumentation, uh, through all of my skills and abilities and, and uh, personal powers. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus calls us first to serve. And my temptation is first to shout. Maybe you're like me. Maybe when somebody offends you, you always have an apt reply. You are always ready to retaliate. Um, I think I'm fairly good at this. Uh, when, when somebody makes a remark to me, I'm usually ready with, with a comeback. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I have experienced with my, my wife, for example, is uh, I, uh, I like to keep a little list of, of comebacks in case she brings up something that, that I'm doing wrong. Uh, in case she brings up some way in which I'm falling short, then I will have you know, kind of my list of pre-made comments ready so I'm able to retaliate. And uh, it feels really good when, when she makes a comment, like she kind of snipes at me a little bit, and then if I'm ready, I can just snipe right back. Oh, that just feels so good. So um, it you know, might be something that you want to try out. I wouldn't recommend it for long-term success in your marriage, but uh, in the short term, it just it, it feels so good. Uh, not a recommendation at all. Totally joking. Um, the key to success in relationships and the key to success in honoring God and living the way that God wants us to be is to be first to serve rather than to be first to shout. We've been hearing a lot of shouting, right? A lot of shouting over the past year. 
People have been trying to shout each other down. Where is the group of people in our country that's trying to serve their enemy? That's trying to serve the people who are the most difficult to serve? Where are the people who are trying to lay down their rights and their preferences in order to serve those around them? Now we're going to understand why I talked about slavery earlier. Verse 18. If you haven't picked this up, by the way, we're kind of working our way through 1 Peter. And uh, this is where we're at at the moment. 1 Peter chapter 2. And now we're at verse 18. Uh, Peter addresses slaves within the church. These are people in you know, the first century who they're in either a forced slave situation or they've gotten themselves into debt or they've committed some kind of crime and they have uh, ended up as a slave or maybe through uh, some sort of war scenario, uh, you know, their village was plundered and they were taken as slaves, whether as a child or as an adult. But um, a massive part, maybe a third of the Roman Empire at this point was the slave class. So, uh, you know, this is a, a quite large group. So, Within the church, Peter is addressing this slave class. He says, you who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Now that, you know, that doesn't go over well in our day, right? No, if we see or think about slavery, we think revolt, revolt, rebel, get out of slavery. Not Paul's instructions to the slave class in that day. You must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. So this is beyond just like begrudgingly doing something because you have no other option, but accepting their authority with all respect. Um, Coming to a place where you are being respectful in every way that you can think of being to this person who is your your owner, your employer. He says, do what they tell you. And here's the the crazy part. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Do you imagine hearing that as a first century slave? Could you imagine hearing that now as an employee? Even if your supervisor is cruel, with all respect, do what they ask, accept their authority. It says, for God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if, you're, if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his footsteps. And so, key idea for this teaching. He is the hero of the story. It is so easy for us to get in a place where we think we're the hero of the story. And if we're the hero of the story, then Well, we can retaliate. We can do whatever it is we want to do in order to defend ourselves. We can stand up for our rights. We can remind people of our special position or our high place. But this is an invitation 
to remember that Jesus, that he is the hero of the story and he is our example. Peter goes on to say he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. Absolutely astonishing, incredible. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. For what is right, by his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep, you wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. That, by the way, was a first century Christian hymn or creed, one of the ways that they passed faith on from one person to another, from one church to another. Incredible, incredible. Uh, Well, you might be thinking, that sounds pretty difficult. Uh, what, a, what an incredible challenge that, that Peter is giving to these, to these slaves that they're to be fully respectful even if their master is cruel and unreasonable, like beating them. Peter is saying, listen, you're not the hero of your story. This whole story, it's, it's not actually about you. The story is actually about Jesus. And what you're being called to do is to suffer on his behalf. To suffer on behalf of that master who is your enemy. Who is doing cruel things. Suffer on his behalf so that he could possibly experience the grace of God for himself. Well, if you think that is difficult, we're just warming up. There is this section about Husbands and wives. It says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. So now Peter is writing to half the Roman Empire uh, who are, um, maybe they're not slaves, but essentially they, they lead the lives of slaves. They're, you know, generally considered the property of, of a man. And uh, they're, they're in this very, you know, submissive uh, kind of state. Uh, Men are permitted to, to beat their wives, abuse their wives, and, and pretty much do whatever they want with their wives. That's the way of the culture. That's the law of the land. And so Peter is saying within that context, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. How difficult do you think that must have been for those wives in that day to hear those words? Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lies will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within the unfading beauty of, gentle, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters, and when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. So this is not establishing that women should be subservient to men in any way. That was already established. That was the way culture was. That was the law of the land. Peter is instructing women how to act within that particular context. 
just as he was instructing slaves how to act within their particular established context. He's not condoning slavery and he's not condoning the, the male dominance in the home. Now, it gets to the really impossible part. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. That part is difficult, but this is the impossible part. It says, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. Paul, Peter's calling men to understand their wives, which, you know, earlier he's talking, talked about being holy uh, as God is holy, and now he's wanting men to understand their wives. Totally impossible. This holy, holiness thing is, is like easy compared to men understanding their wives. I'm joking. But the point is made. God calls us to difficult things. He's not actually saying uh, that we need to understand our wives. He's, needing, he's telling us that we need to treat our wives with understanding to be gentle as we operate with them. Why is that the case? So she may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Whew, those are some power th powerful things. If you were wondering about um, whether or not women should be subservient in the home, that's, that's not really the thing that's being addressed here. Peter makes it very clear that she is an equal partner to the man in God's gift of new life. The point is, that men and women within their context should do the extraordinary thing of putting God first. They should do this extraordinary thing of serving their wives, their husbands, in, in weird ways. And I, I use that phrase because in this culture, it would have been very, very weird for a man to treat his wife as an equal partner. It would have been mind-blowing. In the United States these days, it's becoming more of an expectation because of our Judeo-Christian values. But in these days, it would have been an outlandish thing for a man to consider the opinion of his wife. For a man to consider opinion of his wife equal to his own, to treat her tenderly and gently. God calls us to extraordinary, extraordinary things. The last challenge in this matter of relating to other people for the Lord's sake is a message to all Christians, to the whole church. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. This is verse eight. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do. Um, I don't think the, the church has been uh, admirable through the election season and through COVID. Um, 
At least I've seen quite a few examples, and sometimes I'll have to admit that I have entered into being a bad example of how the church has, um, how the church is called to operate. Um, I'll just give you uh, one example. I think if you were to uh, take the back and forth between Christians on social media about the wearing of face masks, I think we would find that we are really falling short of the mark that Peter is setting for us. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. So I'm gonna read verse 21 again. It's the verse about Jesus being our example. It's the invitation uh, for us to put our own rights to the side, to place our own preferences on the back burner, to leave our high positions in order to serve other people, to use our power, our resources, our abilities to lift other people up. I'm gonna read that verse and I'm gonna ask you to ask yourself whether or not you are really willing to accept Jesus' invitation to do this in your life. Remember, this whole thing that's going on, earth, creation, humanity, your experience of reality, all of those things, everything that's going on in your life right now, this isn't really about you. This isn't really your story. This is the story of Jesus that we are participating in. And we are invited to live rightly within that story, to have the best experience within the Christmas story. And the way that we do that is by following the example of Christ. And so I'm just going to ask you to ask yourself that question as I read this verse. Am I willing to accept that invitation? Am I really willing to see Jesus as my example? To lay my life down on behalf of others, even, even enemies, people I don't like. Verse 21, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Please join me in prayer. Uh, Father, we ask that you uh, would help us live the Christmas story by living honorable lives, by silencing the arguments of our opponents by the way that we live, not by how loud we shout. Father, help us, we pray. These are difficult things to suffer for doing good when Everything in our world, everything in our culture says, no, we, we defend ourselves. We fight for what is right. And Father, you are calling us to suffer, to surrender, to live honorable lives, to be more concerned with living an honorable life than we are with proving that we are in the right. 
Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks. And this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.